HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Borders seem to be all over the news lately. You've got trade wars, Brexit, and of course, Trump's wall. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring how borders are created and blurred in the world of food. We try to focus a lot on the fact that they are chefs by nature, uh, that the refugee thing is just a status for them. And after the Soviet space ended, I don't think there was much research. It was all considered just Soviet food or Russian food. And I don't think it gives a lot of those cultures credit. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Raquel Tavares, founder and CEO of the popular LA-based ghee company, Fourth and Heart. Ghee has become much more of a household name in the past few years, and in four years, Fourth and Heart has become the second largest ghee company in the country. They also just launched a new line of other snacks, which I'm excited to talk about, and Raquel is here from L.A., which I think makes you my first, like, national <laughs> guest. I, don't, I was going to say international, but not quite. Um, and obviously, like, I'm a huge fan of the product, a huge fan of the business that you've built. And um, I think specifically for me, I love that you've taken a product that has been sort of commoditized in a way and made it really branded and made it, you know, brought it into sort of the mainstream in a way that I think is really neat. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, we always kind of start with 
where you grew up, if you were always entrepreneurial. Obviously, when you were 10, you weren't thinking, I'm going to start a gee company, <laughs> unless you were. Um, and I've read a little bit about you, but why don't you just fill me in a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Brazil um, to a American mo- mother and a Brazilian father, and then I moved to California when I was six years old. So I grew up in Cupertino. Which, uh-huh. Oh, wow. Were which, they tech people? Uh, no, no. My mom was actually very young, so like 22 years old and oh, wow. was going to school. So she was a student. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I, yeah, we were, I lived there through high school mm-hmm. and then moved to San Francisco. And then after having children, I moved to Los Angeles. And your mom was like a health food person, yes? Yeah. So the story goes when my mother was 17 years old. She got married at 17, and we had a nanny, and this woman was diabetic. So Mm -hmm. my mom put her on a macrobiotic diet Uh and reversed her diabetes. Of course, she didn't stay on it and, you know, kind of got back into bad health, but... So they they say that my mom was on a macrobiotic diet when she was pregnant with me, which is highly disciplined at 17. Yeah. That's when you should be eating everything. everything. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. And so as you were growing up, were you one of those kids who just, I love quinoa and, you know, (laughs) seaweed, or were you sort of like, ugh, my mom is all like, is healthy and I just want to eat Cheetos? It went in phases. So Mm -hmm. when I was, when I was younger, my mom has told me that I actually said, ew, sugar, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because my mom did not give me sugar. There was no sugar in the household. If there were cookies or or sodas, it, it would be like locked in a cabinet, like literally That's wild. deadbolt. Yeah. <laughs> so it, when I was in high school, of course, I went to all my friends' houses yep. and I'm like, give me the SpaghettiOs yeah, and exactly. the Lucky Charms and whatever I can get my paws on. Yep. But really, I feel that now as an adult, I'm quite grateful for right. it because I'm healthy. Yeah. And now I'm setting the role model you know, for my children, right. but I'm not as strict. Right. So in and fact, yeah. When I'm, I'm you very were lenient. growing up, were you were you like a lemonade stand kid? Like, were you always trying to like make a business, or were you? What did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, um, I, I was always entrepreneurial as a child. I once picked a bunch of cherries from my neighbor's yards mm-hmm. and would bag them and go around selling them. <laughs> we <And> all <laughs> have that story. I made like smelly stickers before yeah. they were a thing. Like Ooh, I sprayed and like, amazing. I know I put like vanilla extract or almond extract on like Smurf stickers and then that. tried to pawn them off on people. But we, I think people who found businesses tend to have a story of something they tried to like sell to people of when course. they were, you know, that they didn't need or that weren't actually like something we should have been selling. Yeah. Know. I feel like entrepreneurs are kind of born. Yeah. <laughs> almost. <laughs> you know? A little bit. Um, so, but who knows? That's a topic everyone likes to debate. Right. But yeah, so it was the cherries. And then I was, um, I used to like scrape rocks together and make, you know, mineral makeup. <laughs> and I put on my eyes. You know what? There's, there's, you could be doing that right now. I bet you could be selling a lot of Bigger that direct margins. to consumer. Exactly. The <laughs> margins are a lot better than food. Yeah. I always joke. I said, next company is going to be alcohol or beauty because I want, you know, no, 80% I, gross margin. Hey, I'm margins, doing please. refrigerated. Yes. It's, I mean, intense. it's just, we'll talk about margins in a minute. Um, and so your trajectory was 
did you go to college? Did you study entrepreneurship or business or anything or what were you? Yeah. So I wanted to originally open a yoga. So uh, yes, I did go to university. I went to San Francisco state. I got mm-hmm. my degree in actually social sciences and international business. Cause I had I originally wanted to be a lawyer right. and do a lot of traveling. And I eventually decided that I did not want to go to law school. So, you know, took regular, a regular job. <laughs> uh, but I was, I wrote several business plans for this yoga studio that I wanted to open um, and eventually did not open that quite then and then later owned a yoga studio while I was working. Got it. Um, But then I just ended up paying out of pocket for it. So my business partner quit, so I I shut it down. And then how did Ghee, how did Ghee come to be? Yeah, so, well, my mom, after living in Brazil and loving, you know, nutrition and health, she became our RD. Mm-hmm. Then she got into lactation and became a lactation consultant cool. because she was working for WIC uh-huh. and discovered that a lot of the women were using food stamps on formula. Yeah. So after lactation, she got into Ayurveda and right. she studied at the California College of Ayurvedic Medicine in in uh, Grass Valley. Right. And it's a pretty comprehensive program. It was full. I think. A full three years Mm, and including labs and um, internships. So a very intense degree. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not a Ayurvedic practitioner right right now by trade. She's still a lactation consultant. But at the time um, in my kind of late teens, early twenties, I was introduced to Ayurveda. Right. And then, you know, I had to do neti pot before uh-huh. neti pot was I thing. love neti pots. I love neti pot. Total aside, but it's, people are scared of them. And I, know. I think they're like magic. Yeah. She, well, the first time I did it, she did with like a little bit of ghee. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, then we started making ghee in the house. Right. And eventually I... I actually made an accidental batch of sage ghee because uh-huh. I had, you know, like all my herbs hanging right. and fell into a pot and I was cooking and then uh-huh. I was going to make ghee and the sage was in there. And then I was like, oh, must have I'm just going like to go heaven. with this. Yeah. yeah. It, sage ghee is really yeah. good. It's like sage, sage brown butter. There's, yeah. it doesn't, there's nothing that smells better. Yeah. We had a temporary skew, um, a sage brown butter skew. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So when did you know... So you're, you close the yoga studio. Are you now sort of like, okay, I'm going to open another business or did it just kind of Yeah, happen? yeah. To complete the thought, um, s- starting a ghee company came to me when my, I had not been working for about a year and a half mm-hmm. and my youngest was probably about six months when I started the ideation phase. Mm-hmm. But um, I really came to Ghee because I had wanted to originally do a delivery food service uh-huh. company that I found through searching to, through bizben.com. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually wrote a business plan for that as well. We decided <laughs> not to do it. And, and I thought to myself, I don't want to deal with inv- a lot of inventory. Yep. So I went the other direction. Instead of multiple um, items of inventory, I decided right. to just do one that you could make into different flavors yeah. and then follow the model of other successful companies like Justin's or Chobani that took kind of something that was every day yep. and just improved it with different flavors or yeah. made it more accessible by putting it into the single serve packets, yep. for example. So it was always ghee would go into different flavors, would go into different delivery methods, would then go into uh, everyday items. like So you like knew, bars. I mean, you were very thoughtful when you started it, that you knew it wasn't just going to be jars of ghee. 
you yes. always had in your mind that there were other categories or other formats mm-hmm. or other flavors. Yes, 100%. I had a, I, everything we've launched to date has been in, in the plan. The plan, with exception to the chocolate spreads. Right, which is like. Those were a deviation when we decided to not launch another product that was in the plan, so we replaced right. it for the chocolate. I'm so spreads. excited to get to the plan because I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about product development because I feel like you've done a really good job because arguably the market for ghee isn't huge. And so you had just, you know, not to insult the market size, but you know what I mean? It's not, Mm -hmm. not everyone in the world is going to similar to, you know, something like sauce, for example, there's a massive market, almost so big that we have a hard time defining the addressable market Mm -hmm. because it's, billions or something, you know, mm-hmm. crazy. Um, but I like the fact that you were super, you knew early on that you were thinking about it sort of holistically, you know? Yeah. And I think that's unusual for founders who are, are like we were talking about before the show, who start off with a product that they love, that they grew up with, that they feel like they're making the world a better place with. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't necessarily have that, like, other piece of their brain working, which is like practically from a market perspective, what else am I going to be able to add to this lineup that's going to, that's going to get customers and consumers really excited. So yeah, that's cool. That's true. Yeah. I, I, um, I definitely loved the product and had enough passion for ghee that I knew I'd be able to keep doing what I'm doing for a long time. I always thought of it as the gift that keeps on giving because you Mm -hmm. can even put it into beauty products and and so on and so forth. Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, I feel like the plan is pretty fundamental and critical to your success. Which is great. Yeah. When did you know that you had a business? Like, When did you know that you were like, okay, this is going to work? I think it was after our second full year of distribution Mm -hmm. when we closed the year at a very solid top line revenue number. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought, and we were national at Whole Foods at that point, national at Kroger. Wow. The product was turning and uh, we we buy the spins data, so we monitor the turns. So I think it was after that year, but you know, it's, it's always one day at a time Yeah. and now we're in our fourth year of business and I'm just, you know, trying to get to the fifth year Yeah. No. and then through the fifth year, because yeah. they say after the fifth year is when you are pretty solid as a brand. Oh, but that's it, good to know. Yeah. Like the third, they, they say the third year and the fifth year is always kind of these two critical marks. It's like the seven inning stretch or something. something. I don't know. Some sports analogy that... <laughs> I'm not well versed in. All right, Matt, we're yes, going to take don't speak a <laughs> Exactly. I'm like hitting on fifth base. We're going to take a little break. And when we get back, we're going to talk all about the business. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. 
Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise and affinage is how Roth creates high quality, great tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Hi, I'm back with Raquel Tavares from Fourth and Heart, and um, we are going to get into the nitty gritty about ghee and about the new product line and about all of the advice that you have for all of the founders that listen. Um, <laughs> so, you know, going back to to just the idea of a product that, to me, ghee was a very, you know, I was a health food store junkie starting in like the 90s. So I've always loved it. I would imagine that the people who already loved ghee kind of had their had their product. And so you were basically introducing this to a whole new group of people who might not know what to do with it or what it is, which is really helpful for me because it's similar. Like my sauces, people who get it totally get it, but people who don't are, are very confused by these pouches of things. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit about how you kind of introduced this to consumers, what you think helped you do it, you know, any of the things kind of happening in the food world that helped you do it and sort of your thoughts about bringing in new consumers? Yeah, so we would educate um, in a couple of different ways. Obviously, in the beginning, budget wasn't huge for marketing. It's still actually not that much. Right. You actually don't spend a ton on marketing. So it was really just getting the product in front of people and doing a lot of demo mm -hmm. and making things with it that people understand, like grilled cheese sandwiches is kind of our marquee thing that we make yep. at all of our trade shows. That and people get it as right. soon as you know they eat it grilled cheese sandwich that's yeah. made in ghee. Yeah. Um, so demo is one of the ways we would educate. We did a lot of seeding with ce with um, celebrities and bloggers. So we would just make lists of influencers that we'd want to hit. And, and you would just send them. Send them product. Yep. And it wasn't that we paid them. So, yeah. um, you know, everything with exception to last year and this year when we actually started you know, paying some influencers right. was completely native. And we still get a ton of native yeah. hits. So, you know, we'll I'll wake up in the morning on social media and get anywhere from like 30 to 50 pictures that yeah. people are posting. And so social media had a, a big role in the education as well. And um, also we did cooking videos. So we would mm -hmm. create our own content on how to cook everyday things with ghee. Where did you... Where did you post those? I mean, we have cooking videos with the sauces. And when we put them on our Instagram, you know, you like we have about 25,000 followers. And I'm guessing, I don't know, 20% at best see the content yeah. at any given post. Yeah. So did you post them on your Instagram? Did you post them on YouTube? Were you just trying to get them out there? You know, how did you think about getting them out there? We have them on our website, and mm -hmm. then we are originally on Vimeo, and then right now we're transitioning it all to YouTube. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really put a ton of push behind getting it distributed. To be right. honest, we just wanted to make sure that when people go to our website, it's they there. have access to it. Yep. And then we have a ton of recipes on our website. And originally, I did all of the recipes, and mm -hmm. now we have influencers do some of the recipes. Yeah. So it's a combination of my recipes and their recipes. Um, 
and then I even put together this little cookbook that um, you know we could send in PDFs sometimes right. for people, and um, some recipe cards. Mm-hmm. So. It's a combination of things, but what's interesting about ghee is a category, and actually we can consider it much a subcategory of the butter and butter alternatives right. set. Um, um, it's that the, we've had paleo and we've had keto yeah. and we've had Whole30 doing a lot of educating for us, yeah. so it's it's been very helpful. Yeah, you know? I would think. Mm-hmm. But I also what I one of the things I really like. I mean, this is just maybe my interpretation of hearing you on other podcasts or reading what you said. I don't feel like you brand yourself as like keto exclamation point, exclamation point. I feel like you brand yourself as if you are following that diet, we're great for you. But I don't feel like you've hitched your wagon to that. Like, I feel like you've you're saying this is beyond a trendy diet. You know, this is a this is an ingredient that should be with you for your life, regardless of what diet you follow right now. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, is that intentional on your part? It is. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought about it in the beginning, calling it paleo butter. Or, right. Um, but just decided quickly that we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves into mm-hmm. a corner. And sure, there are a lot of people following diets, but the majority of the world isn't following a diet. Right. And we really want to make sure that it's accessible to everyone. Everyone knows it's not a supplement. It's, it can be right. for some people, it's but it's a cooking oil. Yep. It's an ingredient. And we are we are paleo certified and we are keto certified yeah. and gluten free certified and not right. GMO. Right. <laughs> um, so that's helpful. Yes. That's helpful. But we are very supported by the Paleo Foundation. Yes. They're they're always giving us so much love. No, it's so. I mean, it it was really a great time for you to launch. Let, you know. Yeah, yeah. I could see it. I could see the trends starting to yep. kind of go in that in the favor of ghee. That was one of the reasons why. Yeah. I thought it would be such a great ingredient yeah. to bring to market. And how did the cooking spray? I mean, the cooking spray, like a better for you, Pam, is a genius idea. <laughs> like, and I mean, so is the Chakti. Like, they're, they're, how did they come into your brain? Yeah, well, I, I, I thought about coconut oil mm-hmm. when uh, launching ghee, and my sales guy is like, this is going to go everywhere coconut oil is. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, felt, I felt like there was a lot of dead weight in that in the coconut oil category, mm-hmm. so there, there would be a space for us there. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at what coconut oil was had been able to achieve, mm-hmm. and they went into sprays and the single serves. Right. And um, the spray and the oil have been a very, very challenging product. Interesting. Because when we made it bench top, mm-hmm. we didn't take into consideration the winter months. Right. And so, so in winter, it yeah. was clogging, all, like the, the, it would clog, oh, right? Oh, wow. Right. So it took us a great amount of money and yeah. time to fix the formula, which is fixed now. But yeah. it was... Um, a lot of heavy lifting. So just to <laughs> clarify a little bit for people that are listening, when when we talk about sort of industrializing a product, right? Like a lot of us either start in our home kitchen or we started at the cooking school. That, you know, that's kind of considered like bench top where you're sort of, you're making a product with ingredients that you might have. You're not necessarily buying scale. You're, you're not thinking about, 
you know, in our case, we can't use fresh lemongrass in any of our sauces because lemongrass is like a FDA big red flag for spores for something. So we have to use quick frozen. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still, you know, it's fresh and then quick frozen, but we're just not allowed to use a fresh stalk of lemongrass. Oh, wow. We would never have known that until we went to a co-packer. So just if you're sort of in the beginning stages of making your product, it is kind of nice to keep an eye on, A, is this an ingredient I'm going to be able to get at a large scale all year round? You know, B, is things like the weather going <laughs> to affect <laughs> how this is going to, you know, and you can't think of everything ahead of time, sure. but I just feel like it's good advice for founders really early on to start thinking like if there's a very esoteric fruit that's going into your spread, for example, <laughs> you might want to think of something that's a little less esoteric, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a real, a, a large learning experience. And where us. are you with supply chain right now? Are you, do you make it all in house, are you co-packing it? How and any advice you have on that? Mm-hmm. We uh, the way we make our product is we work we work with a um, we do work with a co-men, but it's kind of like a hybrid situation. Mm-hmm. So we have our own QA person on site. We have our own logistics manager on site. We own some of the equipment, right? And oversee the process. Um, so it's it's as if we're kind of doing it together, right? And we own the supply chain, so uh, it's a it's we we pay them a per unit cost, but we we acquire all of the ingredients on our right. own, and we make the oil at the same location, and then we ship that oil for filling. But there's a lot of IP surrounding our oil. In fact, there's a pat we put a patent on it. Cool. After you figured out, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. After all it of was that a painful right. process. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then our chocolate spreads are made in Connecticut at an at another facility. Oh, neat. Mm-hmm. And so, let's have you had any that had the sage one, for example. Have you had products that you've launched or flavors that you've launched and they just haven't worked? Yeah, um, the chili didn't work. And when do you pull the plug? Like when do you when do you decide it's not working? Um, it, it took me probably about a year. But it wasn't in in real distribution by the time we pulled it. It just wasn't selling. Right. So at the end of the day, your best seller is going to be your your original. Mm -hmm. And ours is basically original and salt. They kind of are kind of neck and neck now. I love the salt. And the others are just to really differentiate us as a brand. So vanilla, um, I mean, Himalayan salt was also first of its kind. Vanilla Mm -hmm. was first of its kind. And... That's that's a kind of a cult classic, and it does right. better online than it does at brick and mortar. Let's talk a little bit about online, mm-hmm. um, because I think I read that about thirty percent of your sales are Amazon. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then um, I guess how much of you how what what percentage let's say of the rest of the seventy percent are through your website versus through a grocery store? We don't really push to site yet. Um, It's kind of a focus for next year. So it's, it's really, it's not even material. Right. Um, So it's really just 30% Amazon and the others split between our two other distributors. Right. Um, All brick and mortar. Amazon is just a huge business for us because obviously it's like a Google for products. No, I know. I mean, we, we think about it a lot because obviously we can't right now. I mean, 
for us to have our sauces on there. I mean, eventually they'll be on there, but you have to be a prime member and then it's Amazon fresh. And, you know, a lot of people uh, have asked us about how we're going to do direct to consumer. And I'm figuring it's going to take a few years for anyone to figure out how to really do fresh Mm -hmm. food price effectively. And it's not going to be me who's going to figure it out. I think Amazon will figure (laughs) it out probably before me, but for you. And I mean, I'm, I'm imagining, especially after listening to this podcast, a lot of people that maybe were thinking about doing a refrigerated pot like <laughs> product might not. <laughs> Thank you. I've like I like to give sort of like don't do what I did. Um, but tell me a little bit about the Amazon piece and optimizing that search or how you've kind of, you know, do you want are you are you focused next year on bringing it in house because you want to own that consumer more than Amazon? I mean, tell me about the Amazon experience. I have no experience with it. Yeah, so we we work with someone who is just an Amazon expert. They're basically a broker mm-hmm. and they manage all of the business for us and then we work with another company that manages the couponing strategy mm-hmm. and they work together. So we will, you know, we'll spend on on promotion, couponing, uh, different, you know, very differently throughout the year, depending on how we want to acquire customers. But we rely on them to to kind of lay out lay out the options of how we can spend on on promotional dollars in right. order to drive more eyes to the product. Right. But they've been really helpful in you know getting us on to. Um, onto subscribe and save, for example, or right. getting us into pantry. Right. So subscribe and save, pantry, and then seller central is where we sell. And it is it is just incredible amounts of volume. And do you think that I mean, is are you trying to move away a little bit from Amazon so you can bring some like they're essentially just a third customer? For yeah, you, right? we 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 think that it'll happen naturally, right? As we as we get more and more SKUs into brick and mortar, mm-hmm. and then proliferate into different channels like right. mass and club, right? Um, and then we'll put a little fuel behind our website, right? But we have a different um, map of products that we would launch for specifically for DDC. Right, got it. That would be margin accretive so because it's so expensive to fulfill. Yeah. And brand cuz we would we would have a very good user experience um and therefore it would be expensive probably right. to for, create all that yeah. and we want to make sure we're driving it profitably because right. um it's just been I think a lot of people are trying to yeah. figure that out. And I think as Amazon gets bigger. I don't know that Amazon's going to be making their own ghee anytime soon, but you know, they, they're definitely making more and more products on their own. And I think a lot of, you know, businesses are trying to sort of own their sales a Mm -hmm. little bit more, you know, I mean, and so would you say 30% is about what, I mean, I know it's great volume is the idea to have it for someone who's starting out, would you say it's a good ratio or would you say 
you know. I think it's a little, I think uh, 30% um, Amazon revenue is probably a little high. I don't want to be so dependent on it, but right. um, so we, we figured probably go down to around 20% right. eventually. And then assuming the DDC can take up around 10% um, and then the other mix between the brick and mortar. Um, and it also as our, as our doors increase, yep. then that's going to go down probably. Right. But Amazon is a great channel yeah. and it gets a lot of eyes on your product. And we, we still are winning on Amazon, even though there's, you know, 15 SKUs of right. ghee. There's a lot more ghee options on Amazon. Right. And so that just really speaks volumes to the brand yeah. that, that people have brand loyalty and affinity. Yeah. For Let's talk a little heart. bit. That's such a good segue into the brand. Um, because I think, I know you had a name change. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if that happened to me, I would be in bed for like a month. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, how did that affect you? And how did that affect the company? And then did it affect the branding? Yeah. So we had to do a name change. How uh, far in? It was probably a year into business. And we were served a cease and desist. And That's I thought, well, fun. either I can spend money on lawyers or I can spend money on a rebrand. Yep. And I thought it was an opportune time to create a very powerful brand. Yep. And it's been only a creative to the business in yep. general because it was a huge exercise. We worked with a larger agency. So, yeah, I'm very happy that we rebranded. Yeah. No, and it's beautiful. It was hard. It was challenging. We've yeah. had to do a lot of challenging things in the short you know, our short tenure. Um, but it's, it, we were only in, I think like at the time, maybe 400 doors. Right. So better than, it was than easier. Later. Yes. Yeah. And then we got a lot of attention, um, when we did the rebrand right. at Expo West 2016. Right. Was. No, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's beautiful. It makes you feel like you want to be a part of it. It's all the things that a good brand should be. Um, and I know a little bit about, you know, the chakras and all of that. But do you want to talk a little bit about what fourth and heart means and where it came from? Yeah, fourth and heart is means it's basically the location of the heart chakra. And we liked that because it's green right. like grass <laughs> and our butter is grass fed. Mm -hmm. Also, it's the chakra of my birth sign and it has... 12 petals around it, which is my lucky number. Oh. And so it was really meant to be. There's a lot of meaning, yeah. yeah. And um, it, it, it sounds like a place you can go yep. to. So those were the reasons why I really liked right. Fourth and Heart. And it really just vibed with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it has like this little mystical quality too, which I think is ghee has a little mystical quality for sure. I mean, Yes, it was a way to give a nod also to Eastern... Mm -hmm. Indian culture without making it an Indian name yep. because we really wanted to, the goal was always to make ghee accessible yep. to the Western world yep. and it really helped do that, I think. So tell me about Woke. Woke. Oh yeah. So <laughs> it's a funny story. So when I set out to do the Woke bar, I wanted to do an egg yolk bar. So I went through, I, went, I worked with a food scientist, but in the process of making an egg yolk bar, we discovered you had to add a lot of sugar mm -hmm. in order to take the bitterness out of the yolk. So let's back up for a second. Yeah. You are expanding from yeah. the ghee products. Mm -hmm. or I guess this is a ghee product. It's just a different, it's just not a spread. 
it's yeah, a bar it's, that has ghee in it. It has ghee in yeah. it. Yeah. So, so it's an it's energy It's always bar. intended to right. have ghee. And ghee will be in all of our products. Right. But, um, yeah, so we we started to I want and I want it they all have the same claims too. So mm-hmm. the other way we try to keep everything consistent is right. it's dairy free, it's lactose free, it has a high smoke point and um and it has ghee in it. So these are the right. ways we keep them consistent and then all the certifications too. So paleo, gluten free, kosher, non GMO. Right. Um and then we want to keep those across consistent as well. But yeah, I, I was thinking as of like healthy fats that haven't come mm-hmm. out yet. And I thought, oh, the egg yolk, like why isn't anyone doing it with the egg yolk? Right, right. So I'm like, I'm gonna make an egg yolk bar and we set out to do it, and we in, in order to make the bar dairy free, we discovered that we had to have more protein in it. So they had to, so we had to add egg whites, right. and we didn't want to add the like whey protein isolates, right? Because we wanted it to be dairy free. Got it. So <laughs> then we had to do cashews, but I didn't want to add dates because everyone in there. Every yeah. company's done dates, yep. like to death. Yep. So I, I didn't want the, all the bars to taste taste the same. Like, right, the same. And so we ended up adding cashews. So now the bar is a whole egg source of protein mm-hmm. and cashews and ghee, sweetened with maple syrup and stevia. And we don't have any natural flavors in it and there isn't any inulin or sugar alcohols. Wow. So it's a very clean bar. That's and it awesome. tastes good. And they just launched. Yeah, so we did a preview at Expo mm-hmm. West, and that was really just intended to get feedback from the consumer, from the buyers, um, but we expect them to be in distribution probably in September. And do you have to meet whole new buyers, and or or because if you're global at Whole Foods, let's say you can say like, hey, hey, Whole Foods, we also have this bar now. It goes in a different part of the store, and it, it's a different you know, a whole different promotion schedule and whatnot, but they'll take it because they already know you from the other part of the store. Is that how it works? It's helpful. Yeah. We are just looking at bar review review timings right now Mm -hmm. and Whole Foods will definitely be one of the retailers that we bring the product to first. Right. Um, But yeah, they trust us because we've executed on a very challenging skew and category with the ghee mm-hmm. and then the chocolate spread. So, um, yeah, we're, we're feeling, I'm feeling very, yeah. very positive about the bar. Yeah. I can tell, I usually have gut instincts with all of the products. Yeah. And to be completely honest, the oil, I was like pretty uh, apprehensive, yeah. but at the time it was too late to pull right. back on it. No, it's so, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, you definitely, there are so, I have like 15 more questions, but we are running out of time and I start to get the stink eye from Matt sure. in, the, in the engineer box. <laughs> um, but I do feel like you're a great role model for especially female founders in the sense that like you definitely trust your instincts. You definitely sort of balance confidence with empathy. I just... It's been really fun getting to talk to you. And I really appreciate you coming on. And my last question Mm -hmm. is, well, actually two, but quick. Um, One is best words of wisdom for founders. um, And the second is sort of the most fun you've had on the journey so far. Sure. Um, So words of wisdom for founders, I would say make sure that you... Like if you have a co-founder, you have a right right arm person that they really trust you and are really your greatest advocate and cheerleader, almost like 
like a brother or sister Mm -hmm. and um, surround yourself with people that have hopefully done it before. Mm -hmm. Specifically a COO, operator. You should have an operator that's operated a company before and hopefully taking it to exit. If you can get them. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. And yeah. Well, you can get them. They're just really expensive. <laughs> yeah. And same with investors. Anyone you bring to the table, make sure that you like what they stand for and that your yep. your vision's aligned. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, the most fun I've ever had. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I have fun almost all the time, to be honest with you. But That's great. Um, most fun I've ever had. I would say... You know, when I when I rebranded and mm-hmm. brought it to Expo West, that was a blast to see the response. And um, I have a lot of fun when I travel on my business trips. Awesome. So I like to fold in some fun while I'm traveling because I travel often. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think when I'm traveling and that's and what you wanted to do. Find myself yeah. in these most unique places like right. this spot <laughs> like right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I wouldn't have otherwise ever seen. So we should have some pizza. After. I know, it's I know. Seriously. Really good. All right, Raquel, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been so much fun. I appreciate you flying in from LA. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. For the it's been fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.